Hello and welcome to a new episode of Thinking Out Loud. My name is Ria Safi. Please show some love by subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode when it's posted. On today's episode, we have a very special lady with us, a lady who's been a teacher, a businesswoman, and of course, uh, working in the social circles as well as an author. She recently became an author as well. And today we're going to be chatting to her about her book. And yeah, I have it here in my hand. I'm not sure if you can see it. And uh, that's the book we're going to be chatting about today. So I'd like to say a warm, warm welcome to Mumtaz Mahal Suleiman. Thank you so much, Riaz. So let's get the elephant out of the room. Why the title, I'm not an F word, mom? We go through life being um, not setting enough boundaries and attracting toxic relationships into our lives. There comes a time when you have had enough and you say, I'm not a mom. So it's basically setting boundaries in relationships, whether it's in the workplace, um, at home, with friends, relatives. Okay, now I can assume that you would definitely not judge a book by its cover, or in this case by its title, uh, because it's this amazing self-help book. And uh, if you can grab yourself a copy ASAP, I got one last week and I read through most of the book. And I must be honest with you, I was absolutely inspired. I'd like to start our conversation from a point when you were young Mumtaz who decides to get married. I think that was interesting. I like the part where there was like 800 people at the wedding, uh, the mandatory uh, biryani with uh, soji, uh, a gorgeous bride and a dashing groom setting up in the sunset, hand in hand. Tell us more. Takes us back to the good old days pre-COVID, hey? Yes, it does. I don't know. I don't know if you remember the 80s and if we had a wedding that was anything under 500 guests, it was no wedding, the big Indian weddings. And um, yeah, I've been courting my partner for four years prior to that. So we were childhood sweethearts and looking forward to this grand affair where the entire gam, the entire community is involved, including the bride with the hands in the biryani marinade. So yeah, it was a very, very fun time and um, a naive time. Naive time, I like that word. What then happened? Take us through the journey. So you started off as uh, school uh, sweethearts, like you said, you then moved on, uh, you got married, Uh, life was all good, you had a couple of kids, and then what happened? Had a couple of kids and um, no, life wasn't good. It's like most young girls who are naive and um, immature at that time, you think that you're getting into this whole fairy tale and reality smacks you and you know you realize there's bills to pay and responsibilities. And I guess having... I can't say I didn't know my partner. I knew him, but perhaps his demons were also set in motion at that time because he was probably not ready for the responsibilities either. So he had faced lots of pressures 
And um, obviously with the pressures, you become the punching bag. Mm-hmm. And um, it was from the first year of marriage. So I had encountered 15 years of abuse. Um, Cause you know, you don't marry a person, you marry a whole family. Mm. And especially and, Indians, um, right? <laughs> Indians, yeah. And whether they've known about the abuse or not known, I'll never know. Because Indians, again, we tend, I won't even say it's exclusive to, to the Indian yeah. community. I think most people that have um, dark secrets or dirty secrets, it gets swept under the carpet. Mm. Nobody should know. So what happens, you attune your life, uh, you, you wear a mask every day, and you are the happy couple, the perfect wife, the perfect daughter, daughter-in-law, mother, and life goes on like that until one day you pushed into a corner, and I think the universe does that, pushes you into this corner so that you can rise like the golden phoenix. Until you're not pushed into that corner, you're going to go on accepting and living in denial and hoping that things get better. But it doesn't get better until you make a choice. You need to make a choice. So yes, it was 15 years of abuse. Um, perhaps he'd come home and something irritated him. Maybe mom whispered something in his ears or something he didn't like. And I was the punching bag. I mentioned in my book about Peter and Judas. It's one of my favorite stories. So we always encounter either a Peter or a Judas in every face of our lives, whether it's a friend, a partner, a sibling, a child, a parent. And you need to know your animals. You need to know who's the Peter and who's the Judas. So Judas takes no responsibility. Judas has the bad heart. Peter has a bad day. And in this case, I think my Ashiki was Peter. He's probably had his own baggage. And perhaps I was, had to attract him into my life. We attracted each other. Because when I decided to shift, he loved me enough to shift with me. And I think he's the real hero in the story because how many of our guys can really take accountability and say, I messed up, give me another chance. A poignant moment for me uh, was the fact that you had a couple of friends uh, at home once and when that abuse took place. And I remember that scene which you written basically uh, word for word how it happened. And I'm obviously not gonna spoil it for our listeners, But what I remember you saying is you were most, most embarrassed about the situation. You were more worried about what people were going to say about what had just happened um, despite being physically abused. It's another important point that you've raised, Riaz, because that's one of the reasons most of us stay stuck in toxic relationships because our greatest fear is what other people going to say. And for me, I think at that point, it wasn't, I think at that point, I was beyond what people were going to say. At that point, I was literally numb. I think um, I was embarrassed. I felt like my dignity had been ripped Mm. because I'm someone that's respected with my friends, with my domestic. I'm a role model for my children. 
And for them to have seen me um, so vulnerable um, in that state was the worst for me. It was as if my whole world had crashed. So yeah, it was a lot of embarrassment. And uh, I'm sure it can't be easy. And, and, and for you to actually go about and tell your story. Uh, so there's just so many things that happen to your life. So from uh, the marriage, the abuse, uh, then to your daughter actually losing the husband as well. And I thought, sure, can anything else more happen to someone like you? And how did you find the resolute or, or the courage to carry on and say, you know what, this has happened, but I need to be strong uh, for my family and for myself. Where did that come from? Because I do remember there was also a stage where you were going to Molana's and Molana's were telling you that there's gin, there's jadu, there's all these things happening. And, and yet you were just not finding that peace. When what, did the point come in your life where you thought, you know what, I, Mumtaz, need to take accountability of what's going on in my life? Mm -hmm. So at the point when you mentioned when my friends had um, seen me being reduced yes. to literally a pulp was when I decided enough, I need to take accountability, no more playing the victim. Because what happens is you become so accustomed to being the victim, you get used to people saying shame and sorry, and you develop all these crutches around you. And there came a point when I had done an introspection and said, this is it enough. I need to take my power back. I need to find out the cause and not just relieve the symptoms of my issues. So I walked into my very first workshop. Um, Louise, hey, you can heal your life. Ashika Singh. And at that time, remember, I'd come from such a negative space. So I really had so many years of unraveling and unpeeling to arrive at this core person that I am and realize that I had to stop asking myself, why is this happening to me and focus on it's happening for me. So by the time my daughter had experienced her challenge, um, losing her husband at a young age in a very tragic accident and having a little boy to look after, I had the tools and I realized that if I didn't experience pain, I wouldn't be able to heal others that had pain. So I realized that this was my makeup to heal broken things, broken people. I mean, if you look at my businesses, broken businesses, yes. that's what my purpose is. So it wasn't just going out like that. So I wouldn't, like I said, call myself an author. I would say that I need to fulfill the obligation that I was created to do. Like every one of us, we have a purpose. Every single day, we don't wake up and say, I'm here to make money, eat, sleep. We need to wake up every day and say, how do I fulfill my obligations first to God, myself, my family, humanity at large? And um, my purpose in writing this book and sharing my stories and saying, it's time each of us took accountability, lay boundaries, and fulfill our obligations in helping each other, in assisting each other, in growing each other. So if somebody reads my story and says, wow, she was brave enough to come out. I mean, I didn't do this to make money. Authors don't make money. You know that. Mm -hmm. 
I made it to teach you. I made it for that woman who's stuck in her situation, either with a tragic loss like my sister or my daughter that have lost their husbands. How do they deal with it? Or in the positions that I have been molested or abused to say enough. You don't have to be the victim all the time. You had to go through that painful process so you can heal others, so you can heal the world and raise the vibrations. I like the positivity. Now, let's, let's be honest. We live in a world also today of social media, uh, etc., where a lot of people are fooled by the lives that others are living. Um, and it's not true. A selfie that's posted, a TikTok video that gets 1 million views, or a YouTube video that goes viral, and we hear all these things. But one thing that I've personally found, and, and this is during lockdown as well, we all understand a lot about our physical appearances, but we sometimes never look at the health of our soul. And why is that important? When we stop searching for validation, yes. that's the biggest sin, the biggest injustice we do to ourselves is we search for validation. We want to be that social media influencer that we see or that person with a million followers and a million likes. And I think that's the greatest injustice we're doing to ourselves. We need to focus on our emotions and what our purpose is and what our authenticity is. That's where we're failing ourselves. We've forgotten who we are. And if you go back to the 800 wedding story I was talking about, yes. those were the good old days. Those were the real days. We didn't wear so much of face on top of face. <laughs> we knew who we were. Yeah. Now, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying don't forget who you are. Your authenticity is important. And it doesn't matter if you're not getting the thousand likes of them, whatever it is. The important thing is that you're getting that one person to change their lives, to shift their lives. So if you're making an impact on one person of the thousand followers that you may have, your work is done. That's all that you need. Now, this is very interesting indeed. What I picked up, and I asked a couple of people like Harun Wadi, there was, um, um, and others as well, we, we spoke about it, and there were several That's themes that we picked up. Um, Josie books as well. And, and some of them is, I'd like to quickly touch on them. Um, and one of them in particular about apartheid um, and how we, communities were affected. Okay, I personally wasn't. I, I was lost apartheid times, uh, school, etc. But most people in your situation um, had to travel far away from home, be away from their families. Uh, tell us about that experience uh, that you've had and, and how that has helped you also shape up as a teenager and as a person. Apartheid. Knowing my history, if you've read, um, you have read the book, so you do know that I have a very strong affinity with my black, my African sisters and brothers. Yes, I do. So I was extremely active um, during the apartheid days. And I thought that it really, really did 
another injustice to us by separating us and putting us in these pigeonholes, um, black and white and Indian. And because of the, the apartheid era, we were forced to leave home. I mean, I came from a little town called Broncos Strait, which is predominantly African, um, uh, Africana. So I was forced to live a hundred kilometers away from home. And in my book, I do, when I was in victim mode, I did blame the system for stealing the better part of my sexuality because I wasn't, I didn't have a mom to hold my hand and a mom to protect me and keep me away from the perpetrators. So apartheid has, is significantly responsible for a lot of, upsets in so many people's lives. Um, like you said, you probably were not in that generation. Our children will not understand what our people has struggled, how they have struggled to achieve and to give them the silver spoons that are dancing on the tables right now. And I think that is also so sad. I think it's so important for families to sit and discuss the old days, the good old days. Because when we stopped sitting around the fireplace and communicate with each other, that's when we failed our relationships as families. This modern world with this technology, I mean, you and I, we can sit now across on a Zoom session. It's made life that much easier. However, it's also taken away such an important essence of togetherness. I'm not sure how big your family is. We're a family of nine. And believe me, there are so many times when all of us are stuck on our phones. We're sitting together, but we're not looking at each other and talking. We're in our phones. We've killed it. We've killed that spirit. I was lucky enough uh, to have grown up with my grandparents here, my grandmother in particular. And uh, I must be honest with you, I am one of the very few um, people in my generation that can actually speak the language as well, because my grandmother could speak Afrikaans and Urdu. So I'm obviously wow. not Urdu and Afrikaans, uh, but she couldn't speak English. Uh, so it was amazing having grown up in a family like that. So yeah, uh, for today's children that don't have that luxury of growing up with the older person in the house, I think, um, like you said, those values, those stories, those inspiration um, uh, dies down. It just never goes to the next generation. Absolutely. Look, it has its place as well, because remember, that we also go through the generational curses and the, genera the cyclical pain. So somebody somewhere has got to evolve that and break that. Mm. So it has its place. It does, it does. While writing this book and, and putting together everything, there was a whole lot of people that helped you. But if you had to look at yourself while putting penning down your thoughts and telling your story, was it part of your healing? Very, very big part of my healing. Writing contributed to the biggest part of my healing. It's cathartic. It's, um, it's one of the tools we teach for release as well. So I advise anybody that's going through any stuff, instead of confronting the person directly, 
Anything that's sitting on you, write it, delete it, let it go. That's why the book came into a birthing progress because it was five years of writing. Each time I felt something I'd written. Okay. I, I'm a person with a very busy mind. I've got a hundred and two million things happening in my mind as I sit here, as I do uh, things. And, and, and one of the reasons has to be distraction, isn't it? Our cell phones. Uh, because uh -huh. we're always checking our social media, etc., etc. And someone did tell me, start journaling and you'll see how different your life uh, what different experience you have and you know you you letting go you you freeing up your mind absolutely so you're using that tool of journaling to do your forgiveness you do it for gratitude you even use it for your vision boards it's extremely powerful and i mean you know it just takes you away from the busy world it kind of allows you to get inside and silence the mind and that's something so important because we're always busy, busy, busy. Even when we're praying, we're busy. So we take out the spirit from the ritual. And instead of putting it together, it becomes spiritual. When you silence that mind, magic happens. Now, those are some of the very life-saving tips that you've uh, shared in the book. So, so you were a teacher, you were in business, you're a housewife, um, you're an author now, I'd like to call you an author. I think your writing is exceptionally great. Uh, and I really enjoyed every bit of reading this book and thank you very much. Uh, and I, I feel you've been through so many things and, and, and in the book, you've actually given some steps that people can follow uh, to heal themselves. We spoke about prayer, we spoke about forgiveness. So I'd like to touch a little bit on forgiveness very often. And, and, and this is like, you know, we put up all these fancy quotes on our WhatsApp statuses and Facebook and Instagram, etc. And, and, and sometimes they say when you're angry or you hate someone, or you, you always give your power away, don't you? Easiest way to give your power away. And the easiest thing for you to do, forgiveness doesn't mean condoning the other person's actions. Forgiveness is freeing yourself. There's something so empowering about forgiving somebody. So sometimes you need to use your letter writing tool or whatever tool you choose to use in forgiveness more than just once. Perhaps it's a little issue and one little letter will do the trick for you. Or sometimes it can be years, like I had 15 years of abuse. So I had many months of writing to be able to let go. And something powerful lies in there because you just wake up one day and you feel shifted. It's somehow as if an energy reaches the person in question that you need to forgive. So if you're meant to be in their space, if they repeat her, you do meet again. If it's a Judas, there's distance created and you're safe. You don't necessarily have to write, um, my children love the Ho'oponopono prayer, which goes like this, um, Riaz, I love you. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I thank you. Four powerful. Wow. Okay. As simple as that. If you look back now at your life, from this young girl who went away from home, 
um, work, work because of the apartheid, going to school, then a young girl getting married, starting her life, going through the abuse that you have gone through. There was also a period that you were unhealthy. And, and that is something that everyone suffers from these days as well, because they're not addressing the problem within. And as a result, ah, let me have that one piece of chocolate and that's going to make me feel good about myself. How did you get over that experience? And, and what made you say, hey, this is me, Mumtaz, and I want to conquer the world. <laughs> Again, I say that the workshops all have a place in it. So if you come across a life coach, um, you would resonate with and you find, you feel the authenticity of this person. Because I find that um, it's been commercialized as well. So find somebody that you resonate with, somebody who's real and who's fulfilling their purpose in the best possible way with no ulterior motive or gains. These workshops have place. They teach you so much. So I learned the power of affirmations. I know I'm going to get a lot of people that mock it and say that there's no place for these affirmations, but trust me, your thoughts create your future. Okay. So when you wake up every single day and you say, I love my blood, one of my affirmations, well, I love my body, therefore I feed it with nourishing food and beverages and exercise it in ways that are fun. So remember, I was ballooning almost 80 kilograms. And when I came across the powerful effort, and, and again, ballooning 80 kilograms is again an emotional issue because food was my comfort zone. Hence, I shared so many recipes in the book because these were my comfort foods. No Nutella and roti, a lack of food. It just makes you feel full. <laughs> yes. It says but like any <laughs> but like addiction, it's not long lasting. It's very short lived. So your affirmation goes into play. You've created a new thought. You're retraining your mind from the negative to a positive way of thinking. And then manifestation really does happen. So what happens in a very short while, I started choosing healthier options. So if I'd gone out for dinner instead of the greasy burger, I choose the salad or the low carb. And then exercise as a way of fun. I'll probably switch the music on and do a little dancing with my two left feet. But it worked <laughs> for me. Like I say that, Whatever experience you attract in your life is there for your evolution because what you're searching searches you. So when my sister had got, had, was widowed, I mentioned her story in the book, there was a bigger plan for her. She came into my love life. She lives with me. She's an avid uh, um, a health fanatic. She's completely obsessed. So can you see how I needed her to be my gym buddy? So she, she drives me to the gym every day and she pushes me on the days that I'm feeling lethargic. So you need that exercise. And of the 20 some odd tools that I've shared in the book, if you are going to just hold on to three of them, just prayer, gratitude, and exercise, your game is made. You just need to hold on to those three and you're good. Wow. Amazing indeed. 
like you said, there's just so much to be discussed and I don't want to discuss too much of the book because I'd rather go into themes because at the end of the day, people should read the book. Uh, it's, it's an amazing self-help book. Uh, don't be distracted by the title and if you want to know why, listen to the beginning of this podcast and you'll find out why. But Muntas, besides all uh, that you've done, you've also... Uh, an activist against uh, gender-based violence and the founder of No to Gossip campaign. Hmm. Uh, that's something interesting. No prizes. <laughs> no to gossip. No I to like gossip. that one. Yeah, because, you know, we like panchat. Oh, of course. We, we all like panchat. <laughs> all like a little bit of scandal. However, I say it's okay, it's good, it's healthy. If you're talking about somebody to someone close to you and you're talking about someone that directly affects you and you want to get some comfort because you were feeling uncomfortable with somebody and you need to get it off your chest, that's okay. There's no sin there. The sin comes in when you're being scandalous and you're talking about people that don't have any connection with you directly. So for example, if my daughter was, had gone through, or my son had gone through his divorce, and um, okay, I came out with my book, and I know that there are pockets that will be talking about me. I know that they talk about me. And you know what? It doesn't make me feel any smaller. I like that they talk about me. However, if they use the tools in my book, then they will have less time to be talking about other people and focus on what's happening in their own homes. No to gossip was also a reminder for myself because it taught me that I didn't need to be with toxic people that focused on other people's plots instead of their own. I also find that it's really none of our business what's happening everywhere else. Gossip is a time waster. There's so much of good you can be doing in that time that you would spend an afternoon gossiping with people over tea and coconut biscuits. I mean, you know what? Get yourself alive. Get yourself something that's, that's going to serve you and serve others, serve humanity. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan of, of gossip. You will find me, yes, talking about someone that directly affects me if they've hurt me in some way. And I may need a friend's advice and I'll say, listen here, Mohammed or Ahmed, I'm really feeling sad today because this is what Fatima did to me. It doesn't mean I'm being scandalous. When it becomes scandalous is when I'm worrying about who Fatima's meeting in her spare time. That's none of my business. That's ugly. So no to gossip came with that. We made ourselves t-shirts. We go on a Saturday, we go for a run, and we just create awareness wearing our t-shirts. But people like gossip, you know that. I mean, when I came out with this book, I was slandered. I was told that, um, I mean, I'd heard through the grapevines, people said that everybody goes through this. I just have one question. If you're going through it, does it make it okay? It doesn't make it okay. Yes, you're 100% right. Many people will not have the courage to speak up, and as a result, they'll be subservient for the rest of their lives. 
And uh, here's a book. Pick it up. Uh, Going to show it to you once again. And uh, yes, that's the book. I'm not an effing mop. And uh, written by Mumtaz Mahal Suleiman. And uh, it's a great self-help book uh, that you can pick up and uh, pick up some great tips uh, as she shares her story uh, from being a young girl to getting married, being in an abusive relationship, how she's healed and fixed herself. It's inspirational because sometimes we like listening to other people's stories to inspire ourselves to do better. And I think this is one great book, one great read uh, that you can definitely uh, get something valuable out of this. And uh, Mumtaz, how do people actually go about purchasing this book? For now, they can get it directly through me or the link uh, White Tea Studios. White Tea Studios, okay. And, uh -huh. uh, we will share that right to us if you'd like to find out and we'll share the numbers uh, with you as well in terms of mm -hmm. where you can purchase them from. So that's not a problem. Now to finally end off, after having written this book and the response you got, I mean, it was amazing. I, I'm going to quickly just go through my cell phone because I did ask a couple of friends to write to me uh, about the experience of uh, reading uh, your book. And uh, this is what Harun had to say. Uh, Harun is amazing. If, if Harun, you're watching this, I got to say, he's an amazing human being who serves humanity. I love you, Harun. He says, what stuck out for me was the hidden dimensions that people are afraid to speak of. Uh, the GBV, patriarchy, uh, abuse of power by religious figures, uh, the disempowerment of women, also uh, the effect of apartheid and that had on children growing up away from home as they had a lack of access to education and had to move far away from, from home for schooling, the trauma and the effect it had on many, also the stories we all have of trauma, hurt, loss, damage, etc resonates across race, religion, and gender. So that's what Harun had to say. Um, Zahira sent me from uh, Josie Books. Uh, she sent me uh, a review of it. She says, enough with subservience and acceptance. The book addresses the inequalities uh, that exist within a patriarchal society. Amumtaz, uh, she called it your memoir. Uh, issues a wake-up call to the woman who conform without questions. As a teacher and a businesswoman, Mumtaz Suleiman has faced abusive situations in which she'd reached the limits and realized her worth. From that rock-bottom place, uh, Suleiman has tried to unravel the curse that haunts the lives of many women through five generations in her family. Uh, so, so yeah, there you go. Uh, some very Thank good you. positive feedback there. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, these are powerful people. Zahira is a powerful author as well. So I'm grateful for that. As a parting shot to people listening to us, watching us, what has life thought you? Where you at present about relationships, about people, about forgiveness, anything that you'd like to share with us? What has life fought you through all your trials and tribulation that if you were to die tomorrow, this is something 
that you'd like to leave behind for people to pick up and say, life does go on. Pick yourself up and move on. Before I keep my parting words, I'd just like to say that I believe this book started a revolution. It warms my heart when I go through social media and I see that more people are coming forth and speaking about their secrets and they're writing it and that warms my heart. We started a revolution with this book. My parting words, celebrate life. Celebrate today. Wear your dress, get up, get dressed, show up and just celebrate life. Actually celebrate you. Celebrate you, yeah. Yeah. Mumtaz, it was such a pleasure catching up with you. Um, and uh, yes, uh, we hope that this book is going to have a far-reaching uh, consequences for many people that pick it up, consequences in, as in bettering your life and uh, learning from the lessons that you've shared. And I think at the end of the day, like they say, sharing is caring. Thank you so much, Riaz. The honor is absolutely mine. I'm so grateful that you gave me this opportunity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you amongst his favorite ones. May your messages reach far and wide. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All the best to you. Thanks, hey, you too. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please share with family and friends. Till the next episode, bye for now. Bye.